Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top of mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. I'm Amy Rojic, Director of BDO Center for Corporate Governance, and have the pleasure of sitting down with Seth Friedman and Christopher Tower to discuss the challenges and considerations board face in navigating the sensitivities of a SEC 10A investigation into fraud and illegal acts within an organization. Seth Friedman is a law partner in the New York practice for McDermott, Will & Emery. His practice focuses on the representation of U.S. and international accounting firms and individual accountants in connection with federal and state litigation, arbitration, and regulatory investigations by the SEC, the PCOB, state licensing authorities, and the AICPA. In addition to litigation and regulatory investigations, he regularly consults with major accounting firms on PCOB registration requirements and inspection matters, internal investigations and independence and related matters and other risk-related issues. Seth handles matters for public and private accounting firms that arise from engagements to perform SS functions, both public and private, tax advice and compliance functions, and consulting or advisory work. He co-heads his firm's accounting liability practice, and he has additionally served as an adjunct professor at Fordham University School of Law. My colleague, Christopher Tower, serves as BDO's National Assurance Managing Partner, Audit Quality and Professional Practice, and is a member of our firm's executive leadership team. Christopher has more than 34 years of public accounting experience, including client service, practice operational oversight, and audit quality and professional practice oversight. For a significant portion of Christopher's career, he's provided audit and other attest services to a diverse mix of privately and publicly held clients in a wide range of industries, with a primary focus on real estate, specialty finance, technology and manufacturing, as well as distribution companies. In his current role of BDO's National Assurance Managing Partner, he manages and oversees the many elements of national assurance, including auditing, accounting, SEC services, global services, quality control, and independence. Christopher currently serves on the Pacific Symphony of Orange County as a board trustee and executive committee member, and he serves on the Professional Practice Executive Committee and Advisory Council for the Center for Audit Quality. And I'm so very happy to have both of you here to have the uh, combined knowledge of you both who have led the opportunity to participate to participate, (laughs) use that term lightly, in a variety of SEC 10A investigations over the course of your respective careers. So I welcome you both to the program. Thank you. All right, we're gonna dive right in here. And Seth, I'm I'm gonna hit you with the first question, which uh, we wanna make sure everyone's on the same playing field. So perhaps you can briefly describe the auditor's requirements for section 10A of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 as it relates to the initial detection of the occurrence of a potential illegal act. Uh, yes, sure, thank you and uh, for giving me the opportunity to participate this morning. Uh, in, in answer to your, your initial question here, 
Section 10A of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 establishes very clear guidelines for how an auditor must handle situations where it becomes aware of a potential legal act. Uh, in particular, if in the course of conducting an audit of a public company, an auditor learns of information indicating that an illegal act, whether or not that illegal act is perceived to have a material effect on the financial statements of the issuer, has or may have occurred, then the audit firm is required to take for certain steps. First, the auditor must determine whether it is likely that an illegal act has occurred. And if so, determine and consider the possible effect of that illegal act on the financial statements of the issuer, including any contingent monetary effects, such as fines, penalties, and damages. And so what this means is, is that the potential illegal act here might not have a direct effect on the financial statements, but could also have an indirect effect on the financial statements. Uh, the definition of an illegal act is extremely broad, and uh, in fact, it hasn't been limited. And so these situations can occur in a variety of circumstances because the bar is relatively low to prompt the commencement of uh, 10A investigation. That is, all that must happen is that an illegal act may have occurred, and that illegal act, uh, uh, it does not, I'm sorry, it doesn't, does not matter if that potential legal act has a material impact on the financial statements. Once it learns of the potential, it's required to understand if, in fact, it's likely the act had occurred. And if so, the direct and indirect potential impact on the financial statements. In order to do this, the auditor is required to make sure that the appropriate level of management and the audit committee are informed uh, and then require the proper steps to be taken in order to understand the existence and impact of the potential legal act. Now. The Section 10A is, is in large respects a reporting statute, meaning that once the auditor, uh, once the, the issuer goes through the process of understanding the details of the potential legal act and the impact on the financial statements, then the auditor is required to conclude on the following questions. One, whether the illegal act has a material effect on the financial statements. And two, if the public company has taken timely and appropriate remedial actions with respect to the legal act. Finally, the auditor must consider if the failure to take such timely and appropriate remedial actions is reasonably expected to warrant departure from the auditor's standard report uh, when it's to be made or warrant resignation from the audit engagement. If it turns out that the auditor concludes that yes, an illegal act is likely to have occurred, and it has a material effect on the financial statements, and that insufficient uh, remedial actions have been taken, the auditor must report this uh, as soon as practicable directly to the, to the board of directors. Now, at that point, that's when the reporting requirements kick in. And that is once the company has received that notification from the auditor, it has one business day to inform the commission. And if the company does not so inform the commission within that business day then the auditor must the following day inform the SEC itself of its conclusions or resign and of course that resignation will come with its own requirements such that the reason for the resignation will be revealed in the public filings so that's the overview of the statute Amy we really don't want it to get to the moment where an auditor has to issue one of those letters right yes I know that that is the case. And 
Uh, the unfortunate reality of the statute is that the SEC and its uh, enforcement division have over the years been very clear on just how seriously it views these requirements. Uh, and though it and the auditors understand the imposition it can create for a public company and its leadership, uh, the, the fact is that none, nonetheless, the auditors absolutely required and expected to follow through with these requirements. And, and if it gets to the point where it sees a, uh, an illegal act with these type of effects and a lack of proper media, remediation, then it's, uh, it's, it's expected to go to the commission as required by the standard. Right. So, Seth, you had mentioned earlier, there's a variety of ways that these these issues can come to light. Some with respect to the auditor going through the normal course of the audit and un, un, and discovering uh, potential problems. But Christopher, what about when it may be the company who discovers the potential legal act? So, Amy, this, this is often the case, uh, meaning the company identifies the matter, not the auditor. And it's usually through a whistleblower. Uh, throughout the year, there's an ongoing cadence of interaction uh, between the auditor and, and the audit committee and C-suite. So uh, thus, there, there are actually a number of natural moments when the company will have the opportunity to inform the, the auditor, such as when the auditor inquires about fraud or illegal acts during the performance of its audit and quarterly review procedures. However, it's, it's really important to note that waiting for these moments uh, would most likely and will most likely be too late. It is best practice to inform the auditor as soon as the matter is identified. Companies often take the path to start digging into and investigating these types of matters without informing the auditor. Uh, this can often go on for uh, a number of months. Um, there are a number of problems with this strategy. Uh, first, uh, the company will have invested a lot of time before the auditor is involved. And, and when the auditor finally gets involved, the investigation may be in full swing and becomes quite problematic if the auditor starts questioning the investigation while it's in full swing. Uh, simple things like, uh, is the right person doing the investigation? Are they independent? Do they have the qualifications? Um, and then the auditor may question the scope of the investigation. Is what's being looked into enough? And lastly, if the investigation has really gone on a long time before the auditor is involved, they may, it may be coming to an end and the auditor may question the findings and then the remedial actions uh, resulting from the investigation. Um, simply put, uh, it is best to bring the auditor in as soon as possible so that the audit committee and auditor are in, in lockstep on these matters from the beginning. Right, and I imagine when you're, you're speaking to the scope of these things, you, you don't know who all can potentially be involved. So that, that, I think that's a really important component to kind of raise that and get it into the hands as quickly as possible to ind independent investigation. Um, so, so one of the things that I think <laughs> would be who us to talk about is that initial communication between the auditor and the audit committee. So maybe you can share what that conversation sounds like to the audit committee members. Uh, so <laughs> this can be a really difficult moment. Uh, no one wants that call, but it needs to be made immediately. Um, these matters are highly sensitive in nature, and uh, the auditors and management will most likely not have all the information, uh, sort of in line with what you just said, Amy, that who knows what the real scope of the matter is and who knows really involved. So you start these discussions with just a kernel of either a fraud hotline complaint or 
was observed that an employee had done something and and then they may grow beyond that or stay very narrow. Um, further, many of audit committees will not be familiar with 10A and most likely will not have led or participated in a 10A investigation. So uh, 10A will sound a bit scary to them. Uh, and what needs to be done with respect to a 10A investigation will often sound like it's too much, that it's an overreaction. That is a common feeling that audit committees have. Um, accordingly, uh, there's a lot of communication that needs to occur so that everyone is on the same page uh, regarding the importance and process of investigating the matter. I certainly can appreciate that. So I guess after the initial shock, what does the next phase of this look like for the board? And I guess what is the expectation as to their oversight activities surrounding the investigation into the potentially illegal act? Uh, thanks, Amy. Uh, there'll be a lot of discussion around the nature and scope of the investigation. Uh, these matters would include um, things such as the investigation will be audit committee led and that management will have a passive role in the investigation to ensure the independence of the investigation and avoid influence from the C-suite. Um, we'll discuss the hiring of the external counsel to lead the investigation, along with the hiring of uh, any forensic accounts if necessary. Uh, further, we'll discuss the independence and qualifications of those resources. There are so many parts to these investigations. Uh, a simple thing such as an engagement letter being executed by the audit committee and not management is an important part of the discussion. Um, after you have those discussions, the next item that's teed up is um, the audit, auditor will let the audit committee know how they will be involved. Typically, the auditor will assess the scope of the investigation, shadow the investigation as it occurs, and assess the reasonableness of the findings and related impact on the financial statements and footnotes. And lastly, assess the appropriateness of the remedial actions contemplated by the audit committee and management. There will be continuous discussion around timing of the investigation and its potential impact on the current reporting obligations of the company. So there's, Amy simply said, there's a lot to talk about. Thank you, Christopher. So, so I guess to bring Seth back into this, what should the legal counsel for the company look like? And how does that I guess how I should say, how does the audit committee and the board end up engaging with legal counsel throughout this process? Sure. So so the best way to think about it is really kind of how, how Christopher uh, introduced the concept, which is the council is counsel to the independent audit committee. And so it's not counsel to the management, it's not counsel to the company. And they have a very distinct and specific role here, which is uh, for the auditor, uh, and for the audit committee to do a sufficient investigation to understand the scope of the act, uh, to determine whether it's likely that the act itself is in fact an illegal act, and then what the potential impact is on the financial statements. And if it keeps in its mind that uh, its major constituent here is the auditor who must itself draw an independent conclusion on uh, these questions and will be doing so in reliance on the independent counsel, then it will best situate, situate itself to be responsive to the auditor's requirements in a way that uh, from, the, from the beginning, it can be done in a comprehensive and truly most efficient way, as opposed to sometimes we have seen the circumstances where, where counsel doesn't view itself in that role exclusively, but also 
having other obligations to the company uh, or to management. And that could that could create bumps in the road where in the end makes the process actually less less efficient uh, and requires the auditor ultimately to ask for more or different things that can extend the process probably unnecessarily. Now, that's a great point. So I guess maybe just a, a follow up to that is when you're looking at the, the counsel for the audit committee and, and the auditor, what what is the role of general counsel then for for the organization? Well, of course, it depends on the particular fact pattern, uh, but but in essence, in essence, it's 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 uh, I would say not typically would not have a direct or major role in the actual investigation. Uh, of course, a general counsel would would be able to stay informed, uh, but depending on what the allegations here are, what the potential legal act is, it might be necessary that the general counsel, just like other members of management. Uh, might be relegated to to more of an observer at the end of the day, but there could be other fact patterns where they're where they're able to take a, a more significant more significant role and have greater involvement. Uh, it, it it really will ultimately depend on what the what the issue is and the underlying facts that prompted the investigation uh, to have to to be able to determine what's the proper role for the internal general counsel. I, I appreciate that. So, so to me, I, I heard a few things here, and, and I guess I'll, I'll probably tee Christopher up nicely by by asking this question. But it would sound to me like the best practice in this scenario potentially would be to have very strong advisors pre-selected, if you will. So, having those relationships with legal counsel before things like this happen, right? So, to to be to be knowledgeable about who you call when a crisis arises, that you have to be you know, cognizant about. Um, so maybe Christopher, maybe we can talk about some of the best practices that you've seen demonstrated by the audit committee and the board in your career. All right, thanks, Amy. Uh, speed is one of them. <laughs> it is important for the company to respond quickly uh, when they become aware that an illegal act has or may have occurred and to involve the auditor early in the process. Uh, the more you Get the auditor involved and create a cadence of communication with the auditor. The smoother these things uh, occur, or how they, the smoother they uh, process. Another best practice is to allow oneself to stay fluid, um, to understand that these are iterative processes. That's the investigation, and its scope will change. It'll morph uh, based on what is found. Another item is to thoroughly assess the impact. Of uh, in remediation of the matter. There's often more uh, than meets the eye. Uh, the audit committee should look at the, the impact on the financial statements, the company's processes and ICFR, and the company's training and hiring practices. And uh, most importantly, the audit committee should assess intent with respect to the action that caused the matter. Specifically, is there a bad actor, someone in the organization that has demonstrated bad tone that no longer fits the corporate culture. Lastly, it's worthwhile to emphasize that these investigations uh, represent truly dynamic situations where continuous and transparent communication is the best practice to keep the investigation efficient and effective and avoid misunderstandings. Great, thank you. Seth, I wanna, I wanna give you kind of the last word here if you have anything to add. Uh, mostly that I agree, I, I just agree with those last point that Christopher said is that the, these are one of those situations that are incredibly dynamic and they they move and they shift based on the information that is learned 
And the audit committee really should view itself as uh, as working with the auditor and together uh, to get to the final conclusions here. And once they position it, they, they view it that way and the, the communication is open and free with the auditor, our experience has shown that more times than not that the process moves smoothly and all parties really do end up wanting to and getting to the right answer and the company is able to properly remediate if that's required and can get through the process uh, in, in a way that, that will be more efficient and, and effective and satisfactory to the SEC. Well, thank you both for that. And I think we're, we're looking at some pretty challenging times right now, both the economic pressures and incentives that could cause certain bad actors to execute on, you know, what they believe could be in their, you know, the best interest of themselves or others. Um, I think we're, we're living in a time where we need to be especially vi vigilant. And I think uh, you'll hear more and more about kind of the uptick in, in fraud and illegal acts starting to happen around situations that we, we are finding ourselves currently. So one, one word of warning is looking to have audit committees truly focus on trends that they're seeing, whether through whistleblower activity or other other items and really remain educated on where this is going. Um, but I appreciate both of your comments here today and I wanna wish you both very happy holidays and uh, look forward to working with you again. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash bdo knows governance.